Well, we are continuing our Esther series with chapters four and five. And if you want to follow along with us, go to kalos.church slash Esther so we can read the scriptures together. And I'm still just amazed that we planned this book series over six months ago because it's such a commentary on what we're experiencing as a nation and as Mm. a community. It's wild. It just shows us that God's word written thousands of years ago is still alive. It's inspired. It will speak to the depths of our heart and our community. And I, I love that. And so in chapter four, we see that Mordecai discovers a plot for all the Jewish people to be killed because of their ethnicity. Mm -hmm. And the people of God do something really interesting to respond. And I want us to jump into chapter four and read about it right now. It says, and as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was a great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed. And many people lay in burlap and ashes. After seeing danger approach their people, their first response was to pray. And we see throughout the scriptures that as the people of God, prayer is not our last resort. It's our first. We can always seek the Lord. And I'm just reminded of this because we just had a prayer rally as a church this last Sunday, the prayer for justice rally, where we prayed for justice for black lives. And to be honest, I am so proud that as a church, we got to be a part of this movement. We got to lead it with Common Good Church and that we had an amazing prayer meeting. I mean, usually in my experience, when you call something a prayer meeting, not a lot of people show up. But this was not our case. Over 2,000 people showed up in downtown Bellevue. 15 plus churches showed up to pray glory to God. And after like 17 weeks of doing online services, see our 26 foot box truck that helps us do portable church, drive by the fountains of the downtown Bellevue Park, Jordan Kessel setting up our stage, driving that truck. For some reason, he was shirtless and wearing a mask for the glory (laughs) of God. It was a sight to be seen. And then we, we prayed and we heard words from different pastors as we were encouraged on how to repent as a nation, how to lament as believers, and how to practically fight for the cause of justice. Mm. I was so moved and honestly believe this is one of the most important things that Kalos Church will ever do, and maybe one of the reasons we were sent to start a church in Bellevue. Mm. But as we prayed and rallied, and even before the event, as we cast vision for this event, a lot of people asked us, why are you throwing a prayer event? Why are you doing your own thing as the church? Shouldn't we partner with other organizations? Mm. Shouldn't we do something more practical? And this whole idea of whenever there's a tragedy, whenever whenever there's something that's difficult, people say they're sending their thoughts and prayers. But our culture has really determined that thoughts and prayers are not practical, are not useful. And maybe it's because we're pastors and Christians, but I'm a little uncomfortable with the idea that prayer is not practical, that prayer isn't meaningful and that prayer isn't worth our time and that we should do something better than prayer. In fact, as I I look at the internet, there are tons of memes that talk about the, the, the reality that thoughts and prayers are useless. Like, look at this one. There's a button that says thoughts and prayers, and that's what we as Christians like to press. And all the other buttons that we're avoiding are do something, do something, do something, Mm -hmm. do something. Another meme I found is I named my cats thoughts and prayers. 
because they are so useless. Again, we don't believe in the power of prayer. Mm. How about this one? This is the number of people helped by thoughts and prayers. Also, the number of people who have been helped by memes mocking thoughts and prayers. Everybody's attacked in that meme. I, I love it. I love it. But I, I just, I'm really uncomfortable with the idea that thoughts and prayers don't make a difference. That prayer doesn't make a difference. That prayer is not meaningful in the midst of tragedy. In Esther 4, we see that there is this plot to kill all the Jewish people. And the Jewish people had been living in in exile. They had been living away from Jerusalem for a number of years now. Many of them, when uh, Xerxes took over this area, they were able to go back to Jerusalem, but a bunch of these people decided to stay. And so where they were like, you know, held there against their own will, now they're kind of staying there, but now they're considered like second class citizens and they're afraid for their life even though they're technically free in this new land and what we see is their first response is to pray and then secondly we're going to read in the scripture that Mordecai begins to speak to his adopted daughter Esther and and gives her some thoughts so we see thoughts and prayers he shares his mind with her and then thirdly we see that Esther partners with the praying people to bring in some legislative action to save the Jewish people from death. And in this sermon, I want to look a little more in depth into these three phases. And I believe that as the church, we can follow this model and we actually experience some of it at our prayer for justice rally. And so the first thing that I want to talk about is why why did they pray? Mm -hmm. Why was that their first response? Well, number one, for the people of God, prayer isn't the last resort. It's the first. We totally believe that. Let's read that again. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was a great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. In verse 15, speaking of prayer, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. You know, we had our prayer for justice rally because prayer is important, especially in the face of racism. Racism is a spiritual issue. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is important that we talk about systemic injustices. It is important that we talk about designs and laws and we rally to make an impact in those arenas. But ultimately, racism is a heart and spiritual issue. And prayer is the greatest tool for changing hearts and making a practical difference. We need God to end racism, especially in the history of America. We see that slavery is ended, but racism still exists because it's a heart issue. Even if you make laws, people find loopholes to really diminish other people. We see racism, it evolves with the laws. It goes from, you know, the slavery to uh, era of terror and, you know, segregation. And then we see Jim Crow laws and then it evolves again into things like redlining and all these different factors because our heart knows how to find loopholes to hate people. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can transform all the laws in a nation and people could still hate each other. And so how do we combat that? We need God to do what we can't do in our own strength. We can try to fight all the battles we want with our flesh, but the flesh 
birth flesh and we need the spirit of God to birth spirit, life change, transformation of hearts. Even in the times of Jesus, Jesus came and people wanted him to bring a physical revolution and overpower the Roman occupation. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't physically overthrow Rome. He brings in a spiritual kingdom and he addresses the heart. The religious leader, the Pharisees and the Sadducees kept on bringing up the law. Jesus, you need to follow the law. Jesus, you need to address the law. But Jesus, time and time again, doesn't just focus on the law. He makes it even harder and he focuses on the heart. I tell you what, if you even murder someone in your heart, Jesus says, you are guilty of murder. So time and time again, instead of just addressing the law and physical realities, Jesus brings in a spiritual kingdom. He brings in a spiritual authority and we need to connect to God so that we can experience that reality in our nation to change hearts against racism, to change hearts so that we would choose love over hate. In Ephesians 6, the scripture says this, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There are some battles that we can just not win with our physical strength, with our physical wisdom in our own mind, and that we have to win things in the spiritual before we can win them in the natural. I don't know if there's an area in your life where you're doing all the practical things over and over and over, but it just feels like you're suffering defeat. My friend, I encourage you to consider fighting that battle in the supernatural, in the spiritual Understanding that we do not fight with these normal human weapons of warfare, but we have spiritual power with Jesus and we access that in prayer. You know, I was reading about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights hero in America. And there's a time where he wanted to give up on the whole movement. And the reason he didn't, his wife writes, is because he doesn't want to be an embarrassment to the movement. He doesn't want to be considered weak or a coward or someone who ran away. And one night at midnight, he had received a death threat that was especially scary. And so he put on a pot of coffee and decided to pray. And this is what his prayer said. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. Now I am afraid. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. I'm at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. His wife later on says that after he prayed that the spirit of the Lord filled him with great power and he began to reference it for the rest of his civil rights movement while he was alive. And three days later, his house was bombed and nobody was harmed. Wow. Just the power of prayer. Louis Baldwin, a professor at Vanderbilt University, says prayer was King's secret weapon in the civil rights movement. Mm. Despite death threats and insurmountable challenges, King found courage in prayer to keep going. Baldwin says Dr. King taught us about the importance of prayer, not only as a part of our own personal devotional life, but also prayer must be part of any movement for social action. And so prayer drove Dr. Martin Luther King to really be a force in the civil rights movement. And we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, 
believe that prayer isn't just preparation for the greater work. It is the greater work because it connects us to the true source of all power, the true source of all life and heart change. We need Jesus. And if we think we can do all that needs to be done in our own strength, we are deceived. We need God. We cannot change hearts in our own strength. Amen. Amen. And so prayer is so important. So even right now, Lord, we exchange our strategy for yours. We exchange our strength for your strength. We exchange our wisdom for your wisdom. Lord, let your kingdom come, not ours. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And so as Mordecai prayed, he didn't only pray. He also decided to share his thoughts with Esther. And so point number two, let's talk about not just prayer, but let's talk about thoughts. Point number two, changing thoughts changes the world. Second Corinthians chapter two says it like this. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. You know, as a culture, especially as we're facing a lot of injustices, it feels like we're learning a lot, but we're also unlearning a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a part of us capturing these thoughts in our brain that are destructive, capturing thoughts in our brain that are not lined up with the kingdom of God, his heart for love, his heart for justice, and saying, Lord, would you renew our mind? Would you give us the mind of Christ? Would you help us take every wicked thought, everything that isn't representative of what you think and believe, and Lord, would you change that? And so we're not just going to let our minds control us. We're not going to let our thoughts determine everything upon part of us. Lord, we're going to bring that to submit to you. Lord, you're the Lord of all of our life. But right now we live in a, a time of misinformation where it feels like people rather listen to politics and pundits rather than, you know, preaching and the promises of God, mm. where we just kind of go left and right. And whatever people tell us that already helps us believe what we already want to believe. We just let our thoughts be filled with that, with the same news channels, with the same radio shows, with the same opinions from our friends. And so there's a, a situation where Esther is getting into some, you know, kind of selfish thinking and Mordecai confronts her mm. and challenges her to think a little bit differently and bring her thoughts into a new reality. In verse 10, it says it like this. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So this is Esther speaking about, uh, I don't want to approach the king. And this is after Mordecai says, hey, you need to approach the king because all of the Jewish people are about to die. There is a law in this land for systemic injustice against the Jewish people where it's going to kill all of your people. You, you are the queen. You need to go talk to the king. And she says, I can't. You know, you did you see what the king did to Queen Vashti when she was rebellious? If I approach him, and, and just for the record, he hasn't wanted to see me in 30 days. If I approach him and he doesn't lift up his gold scepter, that's it. I, I am dead. 
And so, so Mordecai responds to that as she talks about her self-preservation, even though all the Jewish people are going to die. She's thinking about her own personal death. In verse 13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. I am your relative. Who knows if perhaps you are made queen for such a time as this. And so she's thinking about herself. She's thinking about preserving her own life. But then Mordecai, after coming from a place of prayer, has new thinking, has new thoughts to offer her. And he says, hey, I I hate to break it to you, but you are Jewish. And if there's a decree to kill all the Jewish people, guess what? I'm going to die and you're going to die. And maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. Maybe your position and your privilege is your calling. Wow. You don't need a sign from heaven. You don't need the voice of God. Maybe you were put in this place to save your people. Wow. Would you use your privilege and position to help people who are about to die? And so he confronts her thinking. He confronts her self-preservation and he brings in a new way of thinking. So not only prayers, but he offers his thoughts. And I know when we say thoughts and prayers, we're not just saying, hey, we don't want your thinking, but I I think there is a reality here that we do need new thoughts. We do need new heavenly God-focused ideas. And this is exactly what Mordecai does for Esther. And we all need a Mordecai sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we need to be a Mordecai and talk to people who are left to their own stinking thinking and just thinking about self-preservation. And so we have to speak up when we have a position and privilege. Maybe your job. Maybe your family, maybe some influence God has given you. Maybe he's wanting you to use it right now to bring freedom and life to people who desperately need it. How are you using your position and privilege for the kingdom of God and to bless people who could need it? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, in the end, we'll remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm. We need to speak up and use what we have for the blessing of other people. In point three, after prayer, after bringing in new thoughts, Esther decides to partner with all of these praying people and bring legislative action, practical, powerful action by approaching the king. In verse 15, it says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. She realizes, hey, this threat is here anyways. So I'm going to risk my life so that I can save an entire people group. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, On the third day of the feast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held up the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. And I, I love this because she approaches the king. She risks her life. And what happens? He raises the gold scepter and she's able to make her request to save her people. So powerful. God uses her in this mighty way. 
And so point three, I believe that prayer is our first step, but not our only step. Amen. We have prayer here. We have discussion and an exchange of thoughts and ideas and some accountability. But then we have a practical partnership where we see prayer and action partnered together to advance the kingdom of God. And so all of these things moved her from, uh, you know, hesitation and self-preservation to action and being an advocate for people who needed help. And I just think this is so powerful. If I die, I die, but I will be used by God to advance his kingdom. And we, as the people of God, when, when we pray, we have to say, Lord, I, I'm willing to move. In fact, we can't say, Lord, guide me if we're unwilling to move. We pray to the Lord, Lord, let your will be done. But prayer is not a means to manipulating God into doing what we think God needs to do. Oftentimes prayer is formative where we say, Lord, I'm praying this, but I'm also praying, Lord, would you use me to be part of the solution? Lord, can I partner with you in the great commission to be the body of Christ, to be your hands and feet? Jesus, you are the head, we are the body. And so whatever you think, whatever you want, let us be the arms, the hands, let us be the feet that move to, to be your love in action on the earth. And so that is just so powerful. If you want to rhyme, here it is. As you pray, Ask the Lord to guide the way. Mm. Right. Come on. It's been a while. It's been a while. That, that feels good. You know, if, if Amritha here, Pastor Amritha says, hey, did you change our kids' diapers? And I, and I say, well, I prayed about it. That's not going to be a good day for us. It's not, not going to be good at all. Why? Because prayer doesn't change diapers. That, that's why. And so, yes, we pray. And yes, prayer is a greater work, but it leads us to be in the hands and feet of Christ, Amen. where we partner with God to advancing his will. And so I, I like how Dr. Martin Luther King says it in one of his prayers, in a collection of prayers he wrote, he says, oh God, make us willing to do your will, come what may. Mm -hmm. Lord, make us willing to do your will. Amen. I love that. That is a beautiful prayer. And so Esther approaches the throne. She's hesitant. She's timid, but he raises the scepter and he says, hey, I will grant a request up to half the kingdom. And I, I love that. I love that she finds favor in the eyes of King Xerxes. But what encourages me even more and one of the reasons I want to pray, even when I doubt the power of prayer, even when I'm not sure if, Lord, are you willing? I know you're capable, but I don't, I don't know if you're willing. I don't know if you want. I don't know if I'm praying the right prayers. Sometimes I, I have a hard time praying because of those thoughts in my mind, but I'm encouraged by Hebrews 4, which says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach King Jesus with confidence. He made sure of that by dying on the cross, by be someone who faced sin himself. In fact, Jesus absorbed all the sin of the world on the cross. In fact, Jesus was tempted by every sin. He is someone that can relate to us and understand what we're going through. And so that's why in Hebrews 4, it says that we can approach him on his throne with confidence because he knows what we're going through. And as a people, we can pray, Lord, racism is overwhelming. The state of our nation is overwhelming, but we know you understand. We know you get it. And so, Lord, we seek you, knowing that you're the only one who can bring true hope. 
And I, I just want to challenge you, Kalos Church, would you pray? Stop trying to do things in your own strength. I mean, there's a lot of practical things we can do that's helpful, you know, bringing awareness, raising money, giving money. But we really believe that true life change comes from God and that the world needs us to pray. Yeah. There are a lot of organizations in the world that are doing great things, practical things, you know, quote unquote. But if the church doesn't rise up and pray, who is going to pray? Yeah. We need God in a desperate way. Amen. We need God to show up in our nation. And in fact, we're going to do a 21-day prayer and fast as Kalos Church. Every six months, we do a time of praying and fasting. And I want to encourage you to join us from August 3rd through 22nd, and we'll explain more about what that means. But we need to pray. And when we approach God's throne, He is faithful to hear our prayers. Yeah. He's faithful to love us. He is a good king, and we will see his goodness wash over our land. And so why don't we pray right now? Yeah. Dear Father, thank you so much that we can approach you, even right now with boldness. And Lord, we lift up our nation. We lift up our hearts. We lift up all of our situations. And Lord, we ask that your goodness, your kingdom, your will would come. Yeah. Lord, help us. Yeah. Our own wisdom is not enough. Our own strategy is not enough. Lord, the wickedness in our hearts even finds loopholes to navigate around laws so that we can continue to hate people or to oppress people. But Lord, we pray for your true justice, that you would write your law in our hearts, Lord, and not just our land. And so, Lord, we seek you as the true answer. Lord, you alone have the words of life. Where else are we going to go but to you? So we seek you for lasting change. We pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 amen.